Chapter 3 London A few years later, William was well settled in London. It was a dirty, noisy, bustling place. People packed the cobbled streets, pushing to avoid the stinking gutters. All day long, traders yell hoops, clubbed, and cartwheels cluttered. But William loved it. From his lodgings, it was just a short walk to the city's best playhouses, the theater, the curtain, and the newest of all, the rose. Here, huge crowds gathered each afternoon to see the latest place. William had begun to make a name for himself, too, but not everything had gone according to plan. He had done a bit of acting, it was true, but it was his writing that was really in demand. The big playhouses changed their shows almost every day, so they needed lots of material. William soon found himself working on scripts. At first, the other playwrights had need at him because he hadn't gone to a university as they had, but that hadn't stopped him from creating some of the most popular characters. Now, the others were getting jealous and called him Abstas Crow and other names. William was too busy to care. Today, his new play about King Henry IV was opening at the Rose. He hurried to the playhouse straight after breakfast. It was across the river in Southwark, a seedy area full of gaming houses, fighting pits, and drinking tents. The wooden walls of the Rose towered above them all, its flag fluttering in the breeze. At London Bridge, William paused to admire the boats, graceful sailing ships, narrow barges, and bobbing rowboats ferrying people back and forth. The bridge ended at the large stone gatehouse. Above the gate, a row of Christian greeting heads were stuck up on spikes. The punishment for traitors. William shivered and walked on, quickly. When William arrived, he found his friend Richard Borbach already struggling into his custom. He was playing the king and William, one of the lords. The actors spent the morning rehearsing with William, making sure they got the lines right. They went over the sword fights, and the actors who were going to be stopped hit bags of pig's blood under their sheets. The boy playing Henry's queen combed his wig. Women weren't allowed to perform in public, so the parts went to boys with smooth chins and high voices. Eventually, the audience began to file in. Grumblings paid a penny to stand in the chart, at the mercy of the weather, while the wealthy paid twopence for the luxury of a seat in one of the covered galleries. A few pennies more bought your seat in an exclusive balcony right above, above the action. Soon, 
The place was filled with a chattering, not munching expectant crowd. It was time to start. I hope they like it, William thought nervously. He didn't have worried. From the first trumpet call to the final battle, the play was a triumph. The crowd oohed and ahead in all the right places, and even cried at the heroic death of one brave English soldier. The play was repeated many times over the coming months, attracting an audience of thousands. William had written a smash skit. A great career began. He bought himself a stylish new fitted jacket, or tablet, and a stack of paper and quills, and set to work on his next script. But then disasters struck. The first William knew of it was a red cross painted on the door of a house a few streets away. It was followed by another and another. When William asked his landlord what they meant, the old man frowned. Death, he said grimly. Those crosses, the mug houses with the plague. In London's crowded, filthy streets, it was all too easy for disease to spread, and no disease was a deadlier than the plague. Its victims dropped dead in days. When someone in a house became sick, a cross was painted on the door to warn others to stay away. Many Londoners fled the city in terror, hoping to escape the infection. As a precaution, all the playhouses were shut. No plays meant no money. But William and his fellow actors still had to earn a living, especially William, with children to support. They sat glumly around the empty playhouse, trying to think of a plan. We could pawn our clothes, suggested John Hemmings, fingering a velvet cloak. <laughs> and then stayed at home with nothing to wear, <laughs> laughed William Kemp. William, have you tried writing to the Earl of Southampton? Richard broke in. He is very rich, and he likes your writing. He might help you out. Richard was right. The Earl sent the young author money and offered to become his patron. At last, William could stop worrying. It was a huge relief. To show his admiration for the Earl, William wrote a long poem about Venus, the Roman goddess of love, and dedicated it to him. The poem was witty and daring, just the sort of thing a dashing young earl might enjoy. When it was finished, William took it to a printing shop near St. Paul's Cathedral. William had never published anything before, but the poem was a huge success. The first batch of printed copies sold out so fast, the shop had to print a second batch and a third. Delighted, William quickly set to work on another long poem, this time a tragedy, 
again dedicated to the Earl. He also began composing a series of sonnets, elegant love poems, all exactly 14 lines long. Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Thou art more lovely and more temperate. Roof winds to shake the tolling buds of May, and summer's seas hath all to short a date. Meanwhile, the playhouses remained firmly shut. William's hopes of glory on the stage were beginning to seem like a distant dream.